So uh, we're coming um, we're on in the um, series in Matthew. Uh, uh, as we move to Easter, we've done some stuff on vision and values. Uh, and as we approach Gift Day next Sunday, this morning we are focusing on the generosity of God in Matthew 20. The backdrop of this parable is the story of the rich young ruler, and Tom preached on that last week. The rich young ruler had done what the law required. Jesus told him that if he wanted to be perfect, he had to sell his possessions and give everything to the poor and follow Jesus. Uh, Peter pipes up at that point and he says, we have left everything What then will there be for us? And Jesus replies, you will get far more than you have given up. And then Jesus goes on to say, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And so we go into this parable from those words. Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. This parable is the story of a landowner who hires workers to tend his vineyard. He goes and hires them at various times of the day. Some workers hired it early in the morning. Uh, An agreement is struck up with them, something like six o'clock in the morning, uh, that they will work for the day, and at the end of the day, they would get a denarius. It was like an employment contract. That was the agreement. It uh, mentions it at the beginning of the parable, and uh, it is mentioned at the, at the end of the parable, this agreement that they would get a denarius for a full day's wage. But then the strange thing is that the landowner goes to the marketplace from time to time during the day and finds some unemployed laborers. He promises them a right wage. Interesting language. It's the same root of that word is righteousness. And, um, but he doesn't tell them how much he would pay them for their work. At 5 p.m., the 11th hour of the working day, uh, he goes to the marketplace and he finds some more. He says, come and work me, for me for an hour and I will give you a right wage. And he puts them to work for the last hour of the day. And when, he, when it comes to paying them, he gets those who he employed last, i.e. at five o'clock in the afternoon, he comes, asks them to come to the front of the queue to get their money. The last shall be first. And... To their surprise, he gives them a whole day's wage, a denarius. Can you imagine it? And those further back in the queue, those who uh, had worked longer, including those who started at six o'clock in the morning, they started to, their expectations rose. Well, if they got a denarius for an hour's work, I've done 12. doesn't quite say this, but... One would imagine that they were starting to think, maybe I'll get 12 denarius, 12 times as much, because I've done 12 hours and they've done one hour. 
But no. They all get the same. They all get a whole day's wage. And then some grumble. What's going on? Should we pray? Father God, we ask that uh, you would uh, open this passage to our minds and we ask that we would soften our hearts to all that you want to speak to us, that we might become more like Jesus in what we think, in what we say, and in what we do. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you a, a true story. It's a, it's a true story uh, from some years ago, and it's uh, about a, a, a vicar, a boy, and some pocket money. This vicar is a friend of mine. He read this book, What's So Amazing About Grace. Great book, really recommend it. And uh, in it, it talks about this very parable. And on the back of that, my vicar friend, who had four children at the time, um, used to gather them together and talk about their money, their pocket money, once a year. And uh, the policy was that for every year, year's age they were, they got 10 pence. So you had an eight-year-old, he had two six-year-olds and a three-year-old. So they, they all just got 80 pence and the six-year-olds got 60 pence each and the three-year-old got 30 pence. Came to that time of the year when they, it was due their pocket money rise. And, uh, and uh, he got them together and he said, okay, uh, I, I, uh, it's time to review your pocket money. And he turns to the eldest and he says, so you're eight, you're going on nine. So 80 pence, 90 pence. And uh, the young lad nodded. And uh, the father said, I feel like being generous this year. I'm going to give you a 25% uplift, not a 12.5% uplift. I'm going to give you a pound a week's pocket money. Does that sound good to you? And the boy said, yeah. Treat me like a 10-year-old. And uh, I get a 25% pay rise. Yeah, why not? Bring it on. And uh, the father said, so you're not going to complain. That's, that sounds good to you, doesn't it? And the young boy said, yes, that's great. The father then turned to the six-year-olds. He said, I feel like being generous to you. I'm going to increase your pocket money to a pound a week. And then he turned to the, the three-year-old and he said, I'm going to be generous to you and I'm going to give you a pound a week as well. Well, you can imagine the sense of injustice and unfairness. The three-year-old was going to get a pound a week, the, the six-year-olds were going to get a pound a week and the eight-year-old was going to get a pound a week. That sounds grossly unfair. You can imagine the scene following that conversation. So the question is, was the landowner, the father, was he being generous? Was he being just? Was he being fair? Sounds like he was being generous. Sounds like there was justice, there was nothing unjust about it, but the fairness, gosh. 
Generous and justice and fairness, that, you know, they're all important values. But they can be in tension with one another, if not conflict. And this story I've just told and the parable give, give that sense of tension, don't they? In both stories, the labourers got at least a fair wage, the children got their pocket money, at least as much as they deserved and some more. But when they started to compare what they had received, they started to feel like they had lost out. The envy crept in on the back of a sense of entitlement. They felt that they had received was not fair. So what does Jesus want to teach us today? What did he want to teach the disciples? What does he want to teach us? A few things. First of all, note that in verse 1, this is a, a parable about the kingdom of heaven. He starts... For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. When you, uh, when you encounter the language of kingdom, what's it mean? What's the kingdom mean? What's it shorthand for? It is shorthand for uh, living in the presence of God in this life and the next. And experiencing the fullness of life, living with God in this life and the next. So, how does one enter this kingdom of heaven? How does one receive the kingdom of heaven? Well, what seems to be the case is that um, if you go back to the conversation with the rich young ruler, that you need to be perfect to receive the, king, the keys to the kingdom. Yet perfection, being impossible for man or woman, Jesus says, is possible for God. And there's a hint in this parable of how he does it. The contract, the agreement with those who laboured from the beginning of the day was one denarius for a day's wage. He refers to the agreement at the end, in verse 13, Jesus had said, Jesus had just said, if you are perfect, you will know the treasures of heaven. I.e., you'll be living in the kingdom. The full day's work is, if you like, perfection. The denarius represents the reward for perfection, the kingdom. But it raises the question, what happens to those who aren't perfect? They're represented by those who come after, who can't put in a full day's labour. By all rights, they shouldn't get a denarius, but they do. The deal is that if you leave the marketplace and serve God for however long, you will get the denarius. Even if you come along in the 11th hour, if you leave the marketplace and serve the landowner, you will get the whole denarius. 
symbolic of perfection. You get the keys to the kingdom. That is amazing. So how, how are we to live in this kingdom? If this is about, you know, both getting into the kingdom and, and kingdom values, what are the kingdom values? Well, this, is, this, is, uh, this demonstrates the scandalous, overwhelming generosity of God. He gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us the full amount of what we don't deserve. Ask any businessman, is this how you, you can run a business? You know, if you pay some people, you just do an hour's work, 12 times the amount of, the, of what they produce. Is that, is that a sort of um, a, a good business model? No. The businessman will say, that's a road to bankruptcy. God's heart of generosity is to give them the full whack. Extraordinary. It is so scandalous. This is a story of, about scandalous grace. To get the full whack even after an hour's work. We see uh, God's generosity everywhere. We see it in, in creation. His profligate generosity in creation. Do you know how many, um, how many varieties of orchid there are? Just give us, a, just give us a, a, a rough number. How many varieties of orchid are there? 10,000. Any higher than 10,000? Uh, 30,000, 25,000 varieties of orchid. Who would have known? Do you know how many, um, how many species of flowers there are? So if orchids are one species, how many species of flowers there are? 270,000. God's so generous, isn't he? He just showers us with blessings and blessings. Even as we sit now, he's sustaining us. He's giving us life in our lungs. He's giving us the brains and the, you know, everything. In our galaxy, that's just one galaxy. How many stars in the one galaxy? How many? Well, that's not bad. I, I don't know the maths, actually. But it's 300,000 million. 300,000 million stars in one galaxy. How many galaxies are there? 100 million? Uh, any increase on 100 million? I'm told, uh, and I'm sure it's always changing, but I'm told the last time I checked this, there were 100,000 million galaxies. That's extraordinary. Just, um, just how prolific God's generosity is. Very often what rubs us from an overwhelming sense of gratitude is a sense of entitlement. And what 
and, and the sort of message that we play in our minds is, all that I have, I have worked hard for. I have labored blood, sweat, and tears. I deserve my holidays. I deserve my cars, my whatever. I deserve the best for myself. Very often, not necessarily. But I might say, I deserve my creature comforts. I deserve my luxuries. I deserve this. I deserve that. And it's the language of entitlement rather than the language of gift. When we think about generosity, God's generosity, we know that we've only got what we have because of what God has given us. The good start in life is a gift from God. The health that we enjoy is a gift from God. The education that we've received is a gift from God. The brains, the opportunities that we've had, that others haven't had, that have meant that we have progressed in life is all the gift of God, the generosity of God. It's all about his scandalous grace. Where does that leave us? A couple of thoughts. It leaves us with some kingdom attitudes. This is about kingdom life. This is how we live in the kingdom. Well, we live with a sense of gratitude, certainly, but also with a heart of generosity ourselves. Because we are God's children, our Father in heaven is a generous Father. We, as his children, the DNA of the family is one of generosity. We live with a generous heart because we have a generous father and we are part of his family. It is a family habit, if you like, to be generous. And so we come to how do we show gratitude back to God? How do we show our gratitude back to God? Well, we serve him. But there are also opportunities to give back to him. And so we come next week to the gift day. You know, there's no obligation to give back to him. No one's going to check up on what we do in response to this opportunity. There's no heavy sell. Tom and the leadership are, are simply giving us an opportunity to express our gratitude with generosity. One of the things that I have, that has inspired me over the years as I have served God's church is that the church is the bride of Jesus. We are the bride of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but it's important that brides have everything they need to look beautiful. And my, you know, so, so important was Jesus' love for his bride. He died. He gave everything. He held nothing back for his bride. Us. 
And so, you know, this is simply an opportunity to, for us, he's saying, what, what will you do for the bride, my bride? How will we look? How will we respond to the beauty of Emmanuel? Will Emmanuel have everything she needs to be beautiful for Jesus? The Bible often talks about 10%. Even before the law was given at Sinai, Abraham gave 10%. He told, uh, he told the rich young ruler uh, to go and, and give everything, sell everything they had. At the end of the day, that was just a one-to-one conversation between Jesus and the rich young ruler. He didn't tell everybody to sell everything they had and to give to the poor. But it is about a one-to-one conversation. It is about asking Jesus, what are you asking me to give? And that we do it cheerfully. Paul tells us in his second letter to the Corinthians, God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful, the Greek root is hilarion from which we get the word hilarious. I, uh, I have an abiding memory, very quickly. <clears throat> um, in Africa, I went to a, <clears throat> a service uh, in a village in Africa, uh, so poor that they didn't have a, a roof on the, uh, on the church building. Anyway, it came to the giving time. It lasted about 15 minutes. It was full of joy, full of, re- of dancing, really cracking gospel music. Uh, and everybody went up to the front and put in their pennies into the, into the bowl. I was, uh, I was conscious that I didn't have any pennies, I only had notes. And so I decided I would go up and if they could give, so could I. So I, I went up and put a note in the bowl and, and uh, the clergy person looked at the bowl and he picked out the, sort of, uh, the note and he waved it. And everybody whooped. There was such joy in the place. It was such joyful and cheerful giving that has left a deep, deep impression on me as we think about what it means to give cheerfully to our God. One last word, if I may, to those who haven't yet decided to follow Jesus. Most people think that you have to be good we get into heaven and the natural question to ask is always have I been good enough the good news the gospel is that isn't the question if it was the answer would always be no the good news or rather the question is will you leave the marketplace the place of aimlessness, if you like, to serve the landowner who is Jesus. Because in doing so, you will be credited with righteousness, the right price, the denarius, if you like, the full denarius, and you'll be living in the kingdom. You know, now is as good a time as any to make that decision to leave the marketplace and to follow Jesus. 
And so all I'm going to do now is, if, uh, if we stand, I'm going to pray. Gonna, if you have never left the marketplace and feel now is the time, then I'm going to say a prayer for you to echo in your heart. And uh, the prayer goes like this. Sovereign Lord, forgive. In your great love, have mercy on me. Sorry, the uh, the prayer is, um, Lord, thank you that you love me so much that you died for me. I ask that you would again pour your love into my heart by your Holy Spirit and help me to feel your love for me. Let's have a moment of quiet. Lord Jesus Christ, I am so sorry for the things I have done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died for me on the cross so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Amen.